So would you stand and shout and cheer at home for my dear friend, Don Stewart. Don, welcome. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. That was overwhelming. And just uh, <laughs> ring okay. Great right, to see you. you. <laughs> Good to be here. Always a pleasure. And Don, um, you are one busy guy. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, fresh in from New York. Yeah, I did Kinda. a thing at Yonkers, New York about, let's see, three hours ago I was on live. Well, actually it wasn't. I taped it on Monday. Yes. So I, but it was a service there. But yeah, so I get around. Well, we're glad that you could make it here tonight. Yeah, it's always nice to be and, here. And uh, looking forward to our time of discussion. And um, Don, I think, uh, I always think back to a comment that you've made multiple times when we sat together on World News Briefing about how you and Pastor Chuck would really have to stretch things to get an hour's worth of things oh, yeah. that are related to, you know, directly related to Bible prophecy. And uh, then it went to where an hour wasn't enough. And now we've got breaking news every single day on his channel at 10 a.m. Pacific time uh, that you do a wonderful job hosting yeah. and keeping everybody informed. And of course, uh, World News Briefing is uh, continuing on Thursday nights and uh, always uh, look forward to the times where you sit in and we can talk shop like we did for many years together. Oh, yeah. But uh, it is an incredible time and, and things have, as we talked about last time and as we always mentioned uh, on either of our programs, how rapidly things changed. And just yeah. all of a sudden, uh, we live in a different world. And yet, some of the elements that we're experiencing now, while new to us, are not unprecedented in the course of history, not even in American history. And uh, I want to start with a couple of things going on. I want to talk in a moment about uh, what I think has been well dubbed the second pandemic and some of the aftermath of what's going on. But we were talking a little uh, off stage about a week or so ago, there was a story that broke where Andrew Cuomo said he was shocked that 66% of the new positive test cases were from people who were sheltering in place. Yes. And, um, you know, interestingly... His closing comment was, for me, the most shocking statement of the whole article, and that was, is that he said, see, our plan is working. <laughs> we're, we're sheltering in place, yet most of the people who are now positive uh, test cases uh, were people who sheltered in place. So I don't think the plan's working so well. No, and a couple things, too. He also said a couple weeks ago that it's only 0.5% at the end of the day of deaths that'll take place in New York, with 96% of them being elderly with previous conditions. And now we find out the ones that are coming to the hospital, the elderly with you know previous conditions that are there, either hypertension, diabetes, or whatever, they have been sheltering in place. So wouldn't you think they want to do the opposite, get everybody out, outside, get in the fresh air, the heat, the warmth, but... No, they're doing what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense, does it, Barry? But it does to us because Cuomo is in a list of governors trying to win the contest, who is the worst in the United States. And there's about eight of them vying for that. And I don't know who's going to win, but they're all pretty close up there It's right a close now. race. It's that's a for close sure. race, and we'll keep watching that, but it's just terrible. They all happen to be uh, left-wing Democrats, too, in uh, blue states, and they all do not want to uh, open up and... Uh, even though their constituents do. And so it's unfortunate, again, what Cuomo uh, experienced there and shocking, but we're not shocked, are we, that people sheltering in place are the ones that are coming to the hospital now because the two doctors from Bakersfield about a month ago said exactly that, didn't they? That's what we expect. If the more you shelter in place, the better chance you have of getting COVID-19 right. rather than being out and about. Interesting, Don, looking back to an example in our own country and the world, the Spanish flu of 1918 to 20, 
uh, one of the things I was looking at as far as the practices back then, and social distancing isn't new, they did it back then. Wearing a face covering isn't new, they did it back then. But one of the things that was curious was that because you know, uh, it, you know, viruses are microbes and they have to have a host in order to right. uh, reproduce, and so they kind of target different uh, sections of the body and even of the population. And it was largely people in their 18 to uh, mid-20s category that were dying of the Spanish flu back then. So they had the elementary schools open. And one of the interesting findings was uh, that there, were a, there was a surge in positive cases after holidays. Mm. After the Christmas break, they said, especially in densely populated areas like Chicago, they found a whole slew of young people tested positive for the Spanish flu or actually became symptomatic of the Spanish flu because they sheltered in place. So we have 100-year-old evidence of sheltering in place not being the proper nope. way to address this thing. But yet, here we are, people trying to shut us down and continue uh, to do so in an effort. Really, Don, I think everybody's, most people, I should say, are quite aware that this very definitely is attached to November. It definitely is. In fact, yesterday, a health official, most people in Southern California probably have heard this. People watching elsewhere probably have not. One of the health officials for Mayor Garcetti said, well, it's going to be 90 days before we continue, <laughs> before we'll let everybody out. I mean, another 90 days? you got to be kidding me. The numbers of deaths and the number of hospitalizations are so infinitesimal, Barry, as you know, in the state of California and in the county of Los Angeles. What are we doing this for? It's all a political reason. You're actually right. It's November. And then what we've seen, I'm sure you're going to bring this up, the governors of the six uh, western states have asked the president for one trillion, trillion. with a T, dollars yeah. because, they, they, because of their fiscal irresponsibility. Now they're blaming, blaming COVID-19 on it, but all the years of these uh, problems that they've had, of, um, it's, it's incredible that they got their hand out, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's amazing, too, to think about some of the recent stories concerning sanctuary cities and states and that uh, there's been some rulings that the president has every right to withhold funds oh, yes. uh, from sanctuary states, of which California is one. But uh, interesting, Don, as you mentioned, L.A. and this uh, extension, potential extension of this shelter-in-place order for some 90 days. Uh, I was looking at the stats today and going through the Johns Hopkins and others that have been keeping us all abreast of what's going on. And uh, just looking at the numbers, LA is 25% of California's total population. Mm -hmm. It's half of the uh, cases of California's positive test cases, and yet the fatality rate is three-tenths of 1%. Yeah. So again, it doesn't warrant all the things that we've seen, even when you've got you know, this densely populated area. Uh, that's always going to have, just the math is going to be different there. But the, the important figure, I think, to watch is you know, that the, uh, the ICU rate, the hospitalization rate, as well as the fatality rate, and it's maintained a, you know, less than 1% uh, rate all along through this thing. Yeah, and that's been the prediction a couple of months ago of people who looked at this and said, this is, the bad thing is it's very contagious. We know that. Everybody's yes. getting it. The good news is the fatality rate is, is anywhere from 0.1 to maybe 0.5 at the most when it's all said and done. Um, as opposed to SARS, of course, which is a 10% fatality rate. Fortunately, mm -hmm. only 8,000 know, 8, people died, 80,000 got it. MERS, higher fatality rate, about 32.5%, but very few yeah. people got it. This thing, everybody's getting it. But uh, good, the good news is 50% uh, are asymptomatic. They don't even know they've had it. And um, for most people, it's, you know, what, what was that you know, type of thing? 
except of course the elderly and those with you know pre-existing conditions that are real physical issues that are causing them problems anyway that's the COVID-19 seems to help them along you know and getting worse and worse but besides that it's rare it's not impossible but it's rare that anybody healthy you know uh, gets that but you know Barry every year you know about this healthy people die of the flu every year for why mm -hmm. you know no explanation of what it happens every right. year with you know why would a 19 21 year old in great shape just die it just happens for you know for whatever reason so there is a certain percentage of those but it's very very small yeah it's not unusual and it's not specific to COVID-19 no, it just happens Don there was a story uh, that popped this afternoon and it's uh, related to opening up uh, the economy in different parts of the country and uh, the headline says uh, coronavirus cases in Georgia and Florida continue to decline despite business openings. And, yep. you know, we've heard from the, the Bakersfield doctors and others uh, how important it is to get out in the sun, activity, you know, sheltering in place actually uh, lowers your immune system. Yes. And, you know, here you're, you're not exposing yourself to the things that are built up in our system. And, uh, you know, they're all the arguments that these two doctors make, and now they've come under attack as well. Just like anybody that disagrees uh, with those uh, from the World Health Organization or the CDC, they come under fire immediately. But, you know, here's further evidence, Don, that, you know, here you've got, uh, you know, pretty, especially Florida, there's a major population of Florida. Yet, I've found it interesting, they've got a similar climate to uh, California, and here they are uh, lowering, kind of doing the Swedish thing and yes. uh, lowering the rate by letting people get outside and get some fresh air. Yeah, and you know, the, the warm weather is coming and you can only have people shelter in place for so long, Barry, particularly here. And think about these areas where they've been, you know, cold all year, winter, it seems to last forever. Now they get a little bit of warm weather. It's gonna be kind of hard keeping these people in place. Yeah. You know, they've been crying out every day, God. Remember many years ago, way up to the northern part of the uh, upper peninsula, the UP in, in Michigan, and it was in like, May and there was still some snow there and on one of the buildings dear God when is this going to end this winter you know so they're starting to see warm weather what are they going to do I, I remember flying once to Australia and there's a guy next to me from Buffalo he said we'd go out in shorts when it hit 30 degrees because we were so sick of the cold weather well it's it's warming up so people are you know cabin fever you can only go so long with that they're going to get out they are getting out they're getting out places around the world and it's just uh, it's what they should be doing but again the powers that be and again, we have to always remind the people, uh, your audience, my audience too, and people are watching us from various parts of the world. We have 50 separate states here mm -hmm. and 50 separate governors who make the call in each state. It's not right. one a call for the whole country. And that's why we see different things happening in Texas, Georgia, as opposed to California, Washington State, Virginia, and, and Michigan and states like that. Yeah, interesting, Don, that uh, out of the 325 million people in our country, 125 million live on the coast. Yes. And it's tough to keep people away from the beach. So Very tough. As we learned here in the OC, oh, yeah. sun comes out, people head for the water. Sure do. And uh, this next uh, round of, of heat that's coming up as spring makes its way out and summer its way in, Newsom's going to have his hands full keeping those beaches uh, yeah. if it goes that far. But Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. And Don... Uh, you know, there's that talk about the second pandemic and we're starting to see, well, we're well into seeing the manifestations of the peripheral issues surrounding sheltering in place and people, you know, becoming financially stressed. And I think we're all aware of, you know, what financial strain does to a marriage and when you can't make ends meet. Then, you know, these, uh, I, I often find it um, 
troubling and, and concerning with kind of the attitude that some of those, I think some of the comments that Pelosi has made, you know, like they're, they're saving the world with these <laughs> stimulus packages. And, you know, 1200 bucks isn't going to go far. Nope. 2400 isn't going to go far nope. when you're not getting anything else coming in over a period of months. And, you know, so many families, that's barely going to pay somebody's rent. California, that's not going to pay anybody's <laughs> rent. Um, nope, that's just all. a down payment on it. So, yeah. But, you know, one of the, the stories floating around, I was looking at a, a website called Forensic Science International today, and it says one of the consequences, and this is on one of the peripheral issues, reports of increasing rates of domestic violence are beginning to surface around the world. It's not just here. Uh, it's all over the world. In China, domestic violence, domestic violence is reported to have tripled during their shelter-in-place mandate. France, uh, a 30% increase. Brazil estimates domestic violence has jumped 40 to 50%. Italy has indicated reports are on the rise. Spain, uh, reports have surfaced of horrific domestic violence-related homicides, a trend that is unfortunately likely to continue around the globe as stress continues to build and shelter-in-place measures are extended into the future. The global trend of increasing domestic violence is growing by the day, and many say this is only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there was an Australian study that came out about two weeks ago, and they said not only that with the domestic violence, but they said stretching in the next couple of years, more people will die from the result of sheltering in place than what COVID-19 took lives in the country. And they're saying because people, the fear that's there, the stress, the anxiety, the suicides, the domestic violence, you add all that up, which no one seems to be wanting to talk about. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's actually gonna take more lives than COVID-19 does. And again, uh, you can only stay so long within four walls, right? Right, Barry? I mean, only so long before you think, you know, I gotta get out of here. It's Especially if you're used to working. We've got 33 million Americans who wanna work that can't work because their job is non-essential. And today there's a horrific statistic, broke my heart. Uh, the, um, who was it, the, the Fed uh, chairman said this. In February uh, to March, there were 40% less people in March than there were in February that made $40,000 or less a year that had a job. So from February to March, people who made 40 grand a year about 40% of them didn't have the job the next month. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the stress on those families, what those people are doing? Because obviously making that little in America, you gotta, you're struggling as it is, and then you lose your job. That just broke my heart. But this is, but these politicians just don't seem to care, do they? You know, they're just seeming to run out the clock to November. They think the American people will, okay, well we need a new president because he wasn't handling it when it's the governors of these states that are causing the problems. Yeah, there was an op-ed piece that ran in the LA Times today about uh, someone defending Newsom and saying, you know, you may not agree with everything he's done. He may not, may not have done everything exactly the way he should have, but the fact is he saved lives. <laughs> and, you know, Don, I think, you know, there comes a time, I think, where you have to look at the things like we're talking about. And as you mentioned a moment ago, there was uh, an article from a, a website called Wellbeing Trust and the Robert Graham Center for Analysis and the headline is exactly what you were talking about. The COVID pandemic could lead to 75,000 additional deaths yes. from alcohol, drug abuse, and suicide. Yeah. And those numbers are already skyrocketing. And you know, the article says all, 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 alongside the deaths, uh, the thousands of deaths from COVID-19, the growing epi epidemic is deaths from despair. Exactly. And you know, that on the one hand, it's totally understandable. On the other hand, Barry, 
Isn't it great we have a message to give to people? Isn't it great we've got an answer for that? And that's why Christians now, all of you that are watching, you have the responsibility of even though it may be really, really tough, maybe you're in a time of despair, you've lost your job or whatever, you have the living God on your side. You know at the end of the day, we're gonna win. That's the message of the Bible. And so the despair that's there is really, even though as tough as it is, Barry, not something that the Christian should be doing because we know that God is ultimately in control of all things. But if you're, I, I can't imagine if I was without Christ right now, what I'd be doing, I, I, I'd be going crazy myself. But uh, the good news is we have a hope, a realistic hope, a living hope, but the people outside of Christ, there's nothing but despair. So the idea of more suicides, domestic violence, just makes sense. And Don, I think, you know, in, in all that we've seen, everybody's talking about it. Every church, their numbers are up as far as on online presence because people are curious, people wanna know, much like with the Gulf War or uh, right. September 11th, you know, there was a rise in, in interest. Anytime anything happens of a great significance in Israel or the Middle East, you know, there's a peak of interest in people that know, you know, Jerusalem has something to do with the Bible and all that, as well as plagues and things of that nature. So, you know, we need to take advantage because as you said, we have, not only do we have a message of hope, we have the message of hope. We have the exclusive hope of heaven and the message by which one can be saved, find hope and joy in this life, and come to what I shared there at the beginning that David opened with Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. And we can do that, and that's something that we have the exclusive privilege of because we have that personal, intimate relationship with Christ. And we're not just floating our way through life hoping this thing will come to an end. So, and that's uh, the interesting part about this as far as churches being in phase three, so to speak. Other uh, states have uh, lifted their restrictions and beginning uh, to allow churches to meet, social distancing, and uh, all of the other safety issues. But, you know, Don, there's a spiritual element to this mm. as well, isn't there? Totally. You know, at the end of the day, Barry, it's a spiritual battle. It's the forces of good versus evil. And evil doesn't want the church to meet. Evil doesn't want Christians to preach the gospel. Evil wants Christians to be in despair. They want them to think the same thing that the message they're giving everybody. Well, there's no hope. It's only the government you can trust. There's nothing outside of that. You can't do anything on your, on your own. And yeah, it's, it's a spiritual battle at the end of the day. Like we talk about a lot of these issues that logically don't make sense, such as anti-Semitism. Why do people hate Jews? Because it's a spiritual issue. Why are now are people fighting against what's good? Second Timothy chapter three says in the last days, they will oppose that which is good. That's what we see right now. Yeah, and Don, you know, people who ask the question, um, where's God in all this? You know, what, what is going, why would he allow this? Why didn't he stop this? If he's all powerful and he foresaw this, uh, why didn't he, uh, intervene and why is this uh, impacting us so greatly? And I think that's the important part about focusing on, uh, you know, as it comes up in scripture, Bible prophecy. Yep. Because he did tell us, you just quoted 2 Timothy 3. Yep. Perilous times will come. He told us it's going to be like that. He told us of all the character flaws that will be part of mankind. He told us that there would be a time that comes when people wouldn't endure sound doctrine. He told us there's a time that would be like the days of Noah, where the thoughts and intents of people's uh, hearts were only evil continually. He told us all of these things. And that's why, you know, as you said, and I think put it so well, we know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And there is an end of the story. Yes. Yeah, and that's the good news. That's what keeps us going. It's like, it's like watching a movie where you know how it's gonna end and you know it's gonna turn out okay at the end for the, the made participants. 
But during it, you don't know how they're going to get there because you've seen the end, but you haven't seen how we're going to get there. Now, we know how it's going to end. How we're going to get there, we don't know. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. It's, that's why it's called a spiritual battle. That's why we put spiritual weapons on, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And we have those. But also, too, Barry, we have to remember that since it's more like, a, you know, we're running like a gauntlet here because as we're going towards the finish line of life, we're getting it from every issue. But as we well know, at the time of the end, the very, very time of the end, it's interesting, just like when Jesus came, there was an uptick in a lot of evil that had been there before. We see the demonic uh, possession. I'm sure it was there during Old Testament times. We don't hear hardly anything about it if it was, but at the time of Jesus, it was there big time. Evil seemed to think, well, this is my last hurrah the first time around. Now, in particular, remember it says in the book of Revelation, when Satan is kicked down to the earth, he knows he has a little time. I think right. the same thing is kind of going on right now. We're, we're seemingly, this is happening so fast and so quickly. This is the one of the things that it's kind of causing all our heads to spin. It's only been a couple of months. It just hit us left, right, and center. And it's like all this thing is pouring down off this evil and this corruption. And uh, we, if, if we know the scripture, we say, okay, well, we expected this to happen. We've been training for this, being prepared for this, now we got to fight the battle, and we, again, should not be surprised to see things like this. Don, I think that's such an important point that you just made, because the history of Israel isn't peppered with massive, uh, you know, casting out of demons and all that, like we see during the time of Jesus, and I've always thought that to be a pretty significant indication that we're closing in on those last moments, because again, if he's about to come, the demonic activity is going to rise, and that's what we're seeing, and that's what they saw. You know, Jesus went from town to town, cast demons out of all kinds of people, and that was something, again, that seemed to be a bit specific to the time where he, the Son of God, was walking on the earth, and demonic activity was on the rise. Yeah, we see, like in the days of Noah, lawlessness and violence, and a lot of that probably had to do with it, that type of demonic activity. What do we see today? It's like people's heads are, you know, exploding. It's, it's irrational. It's illogical, but we see it, and we see just out and out evil, evil like we've never seen before. And particularly like in this country, we see people in places of leadership suggesting things, forcing people to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've had the same thing ask you. I've had people ask me recently, are we still living in the same country now? <laughs> it doesn't seem to be. Just the country we had just a couple of months ago because of the abounding of evil and very what it may be telling us. You know, and this is very very uh, profound that if it's going this much now, it may not be getting much uh, better. In other words, it's going to get lighter and darker at the same time, yeah. but we shouldn't expect evil to tamp down, should we? In other words, it's almost like it's on a roll, as it were, and that's why we need to have to guard up at all times and be ready, you know, with the, the weapons of warfare and the shield of faith and to be, to be those lights of the world. Yeah, and I always think about Revelation 1 that talks about things beginning and they happen in quick succession once they begin. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as though, you know, the steamroller started. Exactly. And we're moving toward that time where all these things that uh, are the precursors are going to be fulfilled in, in rapid succession. Yeah, like Revelation yeah. talks about. Yeah, and so we need to be aware of that. We could have reached, in one sense, almost like a point of no return, where it's in not in the sense that, you know, we're going towards the goal, the kingdom of God coming to the earth. But for what the, where the world's at, it's almost like this influence. The Second Thessalonians talks about this deception, this uh, error that they're going to receive and accept willingly uh, mm -hmm. this deception there uh, because they not only do not believe the truth, but take pleasure in lawlessness, that's take right. pleasure in iniquity, take pleasure in sin. And that's what we seemingly we're seeing right now in ways I've never seen in my lifetime. 
And, you know, the digression that's presented in Romans 1 yeah. talks about, you know, not just the practice, but the approval of things. Yes. And here we have people approving of things that are prohibited practices uh, from God himself. So uh, incredible time <laughs> to be alive. And yeah. uh, there is reason for hope. Yeah. And we can bless the Lord at all times. Yeah. Don, let's start with some questions. Sure. And I'm going to package up uh, the first few uh, because they're related to the UN and questions about you know, uh, New York, and will the U.S. Uh, be the central point of the global governmental system uh, during the tribulation? And we have pretty good indication as to the geographic location of the global empire and uh, during the tribulation, and I don't think it's in New York. Nope. Uh, so why don't you help us out with that? Yeah, this is one of the interesting things I've been talking about recently, of what we're seeing with the events taking place in the background with you know, COVID-19 going on, the Chinese Communist Party, coronavirus, it's there going across the world. All eyes are rightly on that. All eyes are on this and how it's affecting humanity. But Barry, there's things going on in the world that are setting the stage big time for last day's Bible prophecy. And one of the things I want to mention is where the action is. The action is in the Middle East and in Western Europe during the time then. It isn't in the, it isn't in the Pacific, it isn't in the, you know, the Australia or the Hermit Kingdom. It's there in the Middle East and in Western Europe. Now, one of the things we do know for a fact, the United States is not a major player, as is China, not a major player in last day's Bible prophecy. So one of the interesting things is how is the U.S. not going to be there defending the Middle East? Well, a couple of things have happened recently. Not only were self-sufficient in oil, not only the Europeans should be the ones guarding the Persian Gulf, but also, as Ted Cruz just said a couple of days ago, for the next century, our enemy is going to be China. It's not Russia. The main enemy in the world is China. So we need to move our assets into the Pacific. And so what's happening now, because of the response that's going to have to come after COVID-19, and all of this is you know, something to look back on and deal with, uh, it's going to be China and the U.S. at loggerheads. It's not Russia. Russia's there, but not as much as China is. And so it's interesting how the U.S., because of the lack of money now that's come in, the assets they have militarily are fewer, but they're moving them to the Pacific out of the Middle East, paving the way for this last day's invasion. Now, something else might happen between the U.S. and China. We don't know about that. But it is interesting, isn't it, that one of the fruits of this COVID-19 is getting the U.S. out of this area, but specifically committing to, you know, face-to-face -to -face with China. Well, if we look at what's been happening with Trump and the trade wars and all yeah. that, and now we've got the pharmaceutical industry uh, yep. you know, trying to pull business out of China, okay. which we should. I mean, which we should totally. have that type of thing uh, being manufactured over there. But, you know, here you've got the United States that owes trillions of dollars to China. Uh, China now being impacted financially. They've got a big war machine to finance. They've got all the other things that uh, they need to make sure that they're keeping their system running and uh, their people in places of power well-fed. And uh, here now they're going to be experiencing an economic downturn, and you know what happens when, you know, when finances come into play, and you've got this big, uh, these these two big world powers uh, pushing back and forth on one another. And uh, Don, I think you mentioned something on breaking news, uh, might have been today, and and I think this is just a wonderful uh, potential reality. And and we've often talked about the fact that the U.S. being absent from Bible prophecy, and that being because the rapture cleans us out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are one point, I think it's four billion people now in China, one, four, one, five. One point, yeah, four, five. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around in there. But uh, you've got well over 100 million Christians in China, yes. too. And, you know, it may not be the majority of the country, but that's going to put a dent in uh, China and bring confusion there. And we do know that during the tribulation, there's going to be a massive revival of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people 
and uh, that would include China. So who knows yeah. uh, what's going to cause the unraveling of these two, two superpowers. Yeah, and that's a good point you mentioned because as try as they might, the gospel's still getting out in China. We've had stories even during the time when it was limited to the Wuhan area, you know, the COVID-19 spreading, where Bible-believing Christians would step up to the plate and literally give their lives to help people, to be there in the forefront, to testify for Jesus. And I think, in fact, I know only in eternity we'll find out these, these stories. And so 100 million plus Christians there, the more they get persecuted, you know, it's like uh, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and we That's keep right. on growing. And people see that, they see a difference, and particularly they see a difference, Barry, when you have such a horrific thing happen, something you never expect, like a epidemic that took place. It's a pandemic now, but first an epidemic in a certain area. People are going to the hospital, they're dying, the crematoriums are working 24-7, and people are scared. And that's why this is the opportunity for the Christians, as we've seen in China, to step forward and give the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got basically revival in areas going on in spite of that. So you're right, uh, China's going to lose a lot of Christians when the rapture of the church comes, a lot of their population, in fact, much more than they probably think. And another place going to lose it is North Korea, too. There's been, there have been studies that say as much as 38% of the people there are Bible-believing Christians. So, of course, they can't say anything, you know, publicly. But there's a huge Christian population there. Iran. Yeah, Iran's the fastest-growing church in the world there in Iran. So it's interesting. The, the countries are going to be the players in the last day. Isn't it fascinating how the Christians are going to be cleaned out before that with the rapture? And so it's just leaving the unbelievers there to, do the, to mop up and do the rest of the job. And so, yeah, but particularly you said in China, that I think one of the reasons why we'll see that, why they won't be a major power. And, you know, other things will probably happen too. Um, it is sad, well, anyway, we'll get into that. There's so many things you can talk about this, but we'll see what happens if anybody will take seriously to do something. And I know President Trump will against China and, and make them, hold them responsible for what they've specifically done by weaponizing this virus and sending it around the world. And so it's, it's, we'll see. It's a matter of time, but we'll see. So the church is growing the fastest where the persecution is the greatest. Yep. Yeah, just yep. like it started. Exactly. So, Don, where's the base of operation of the global governmental system during the tribulation? Okay, the, of the governmental system, it's going to be in Western Europe. The final Antichrist will have a ten-nation confederation. This is another great sign that's coming into place right now, Barry, that we've wondered about for years. It's going to be in Western Europe, the revival of the old Roman Empire, we're told in Daniel 2.44, there's going to be a ten, um, a 10 kings or 10 kingdoms in this final empire that aren't really joined, to, they're joined together, but not really related. In other words, they don't get along that well. But, and we know it'll come out of Western Europe, the old Roman Empire. The problem's always been, well, you know, we've got too many now. We've got the common market, then we've got the European Union, about 32 nations. But what's fascinating is we've seen the last month at least, story after story, every single day, the European Union is dead. They're not helping each other out. When it came, push came to shove, they all started acting like populists. They all started closing their own borders. Italy, you know, third biggest economy there in the EU is hurting so bad, asking for help. And the other countries are saying, who are you? Never heard of you. You know, and they're supposed to be all for one and one for all. So story after story of people from Italy, from France, other places saying the EU is dead. It's going to have to revitalize. The euro is dead, which is interesting. Because I think what's going to happen, I'm sure you'll probably concur, when the euro does become dead and it starts, it builds up again at this final ten-nation confederation. It's going to the 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 all the tri uh, financial transactions will be digital now. There won't be a currency. Will be probably most likely digital currency because 90 about 90 percent of the banks are working on something like this. And of course, when you handle money, you can uh, with germs and that people are you know getting 
freaked out about that. So all these things are leading. The dissolving of the EU into a smaller group of, of nations, the lack of using physical currency, all things we've been expecting, but we never knew it would happen that way. And that's why these two things I like to talk about, uh, the, the dissolution of the EU, it seems inevitable, and China and their US moving, well, particular US moving out of the Middle East. Well, how's that gonna happen? What's gonna be the, you know, the, the thing, the draw that does this? What well, seems to be the Communist Chinese, Chinese Communist Party coronavirus that's doing this and the after effects of that, which is fascinating, because again, three months ago, we'd be talking about this, and if we brought up the subject of the, you know, the last days, the 10-nation confederation, go, well, someday it's gonna become 10. How it happens, we'll never know. Yeah. Well, now I think we know. <laughs> <laughs> and Don, uh, next question is kind of interesting. Um, in light of so many of the things that are, are surrounding uh, the Ezekiel invasion and all the, the things that are, are specific to that. And the question is, will the Arab states launch an all-out attack on Israel? And we've seen some, especially with the Gulf Arab states, we've seen some interesting moves, even articles today, about uh, them looking to Israel for help with the uh, COVID-19. Yeah, it's interesting. The Gulf states, actually, they mentioned three of them, are, are working together. And this is, and it's hard to get this across, Barry, how unheard of this is. Yeah. These, are, these are these Gulf states that have wanted to see the demise of Israel from day one, but they've got a bigger problem in Israel, and that's called Iran, and that's why they're doing this sort of thing. If there is, and I'm still thinking, I talk about this all the time, I think there almost has to be inevitably some type of regional war there between Israel and Iran, because Iran is working you know, to building you know, its, its ballistic missile system. They've, they showed this missile about, what, a month or two ago, two months ago it seems now, 59 feet long or 18 meters, which could hold a warhead one to 2,000 pounds. All they need is one bomb, one weapon. In fact, the Ayatollah wrote a book called One Bomb there. It's all it needs to take out Israel. Well, Israel's not gonna let that happen. They're not gonna let them get close. And now that Israel seemingly tomorrow will have a government, and of all days, their 72nd anniversary on our calendar, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how long they let that last because Iran is right there on their northern border. They did a, a terroristic activity recently in attempting to you know, uh, uh, hit the water supply. They did some um, very, very horrific things. That fortunately, they were stopped. It was, it was an attack on, on the system there. Um, you know, um, computers, that, whatever they use, the digital attack. And it was um, quite a shock that they, f they figured, you know, even in war, you don't do something like that. But Iran did. And, they, and it will surprise people. They go to that length. And so I'm thinking, you're right, the Gulf states know. Iran, though, there could be something happened before the Ezekiel 38, 39 between Iran and Israel, we just have to wait and see. But I can't see it lasting much, much longer with the, what Iran is doing, the saber rattling and the taunting there, and Netanyahu saying, knowing he's only got 18 months now as prime minister, uh, something sooner or later I believe is gonna happen. Now why would we say something somewhat definitive that the, especially the Arab Gulf states are not going to be attacking Israel um, as it relates to the Ezekiel 38-39 scenario. Yeah, we've got the scorecard and the players, and the players on the scorecard say <laughs> the Arab states are actually protesting Israel, uh, protesting against the invasion of Israel. Now, they don't come to, it's interesting, Barry, because they don't come to the aid of Israel, either because they can or they won't, but they do protest the invasion. In other words, they're not joining in with these other uh, armies at the, in the last days. And you would think, because of their hatred 
of Israel from the past. They would join in any type of war to wipe Israel out. But this one, they're not. In fact, they're protesting the invasion. And simply because one of the main members of the group that comes down, Iran, has them next in line. Once they get rid of Israel, uh, they're going to be next with Iran, you know, having them in the crosshairs. So it is interesting because we do have protests. It says from Sheba and Dedan, which is the ancient name for the modern-day Gulf states, that will have some type of relationship with Israel to the place they actually protest. Now, this wouldn't happen a few years ago. There'd be no protests whatsoever. They'd go, have at it, guys, you know. But now, because of the geopolitical situation that they're in, worrying about, you know, like, hey, we're going to be next once these guys are taken out. In fact, Israel is there when the U.S. isn't there to have their back to help the Saudis out. They're the biggest military power in the area. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all this plays out. But like we always say, you can't make this up. The sides are already, you know, they've chosen sides now. We know who's going to be fighting who, and it's perfectly lined up right now. It's amazing. It is. And, Don, we've got information coming at us from every direction, and a lot of it uh, kind of falls under misinformation. A lot of it may be uh, misinterpreted or misconstrued. And so, you know, thankfully, we have the opportunity to look at things through the lens of Scripture. But not everything falls under that banner that's happening right now. And our next question, I, I think, is curious, and we ought to take a moment and talk about it. Sure. And uh, the question is, I've read about a chemical called luciferase, and it's used to, to be used as an agent in implanting the ID2020 chip, Bill Gates and his plan. Would you do uh, the research on this to verify? Uh, and the, the question goes on to say, I'm asking you guys alone because I don't, I trust you not to hype this up. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's interesting because uh, Luciferes, obviously the, right. the word Lucifer, uh, which means, I believe, the bright one. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually an enzyme, and it's what causes the glow and the firefly's tail. And, uh, you know, we've had the bioluminescence that we've looked at off the shore lately, and so it, that type of thing. But it also has some scientific application to light up areas inside the body. And uh, so could it be... Uh, a part of, you know, the, the chip implant or the, the quantum dot uh, that we've been hearing about. Um, you know, yeah, I suppose so, but I don't know. I don't know that just because it's called Luciferes uh, that it has any uh, specific relation to prophecy. Yeah, I, I've been on record of saying very clearly, I am not a conspiratorialist at all. I've heard things like this for the last 50 years, yeah. and none of them have panned out. I remember very clearly a program we did, I did with uh, Dennis, who owns his channel, a number of years ago when I was doing, I was hosting uh, uh, World News Briefing, and Chuck wasn't on that time. And, and we're talking about, you know, of the future, the type of things that are going to come about, the technology, because Dennis is, of course, the expert on that. And I was talking about wearable technology, because there was a story from some Australian publication about, you know, the next generation will be wearable technology. And he looked at me, and he said, Don, that's caveman stuff compared to what's coming. So I think anything we think now is going to be it. <laughs> With the exponential increase of technology, Barry, yeah. this is going to be yesterday's news in an hour or two because of how fast everything is going. Wasn't it the first Left Behind movie? They had barcodes on their forehead. was the mark of the beast. And we think how ridiculous that is. Now, we don't know what it's going to be, but the way things are increasing, it's probably something we can't even conceive of. So when you hear things like that, 
it's like I, I would try and get our sights off of that, but off to preaching the gospel and not worrying about that because according to the way we interpret the Bible, we see it. We're not going to be around when all this stuff happens anyway, so we're not going to have to worry about the mark of the beast, the 666 taking the mark, not being able to buy or sell without it. So to me, our job is to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that the technology is going to be there. We're not denying that, but what, whichever one it ends up being, you know, we'll have better things to think of at that time when it's put into place and we'll be in a better place. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we'll be sitting in heaven saying, oh, so that's the market. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Don, our next question is one I know that will pique your interest. And uh, what's the story behind the rock in the Dome of the Rock Shrine on the Temple Mount? I know of the Muslim legend and the Jewish belief that it's where Abraham obeyed God's order to offer sac uh, to sacrifice Isaac. But is that where the first and second temples were? Was the rock in the temple? Was it actually a place of worship for early Jews? Yeah, it's, no, it's a great question. We have to go back in history to understand why the Dome of the Rock was built there. It was built not as a holy place, but as a shrine. It was when the Muslims came in about AD 637 and conquered Jerusalem, uh, the, the caliphate, the leader there, the caliph, asked the bishop there, the uh, patriarch, his name was Sophronius, uh, where did the temple stand? And there was nothing but muck and, and mud and debris there on the Temple Mount. And he made him grovel in that. They removed all that, and they built the shrine in its place, because here was their figuring. Well, if this is where their first and second temple stood, if we build our shrine here of Islam, there'll never be a third temple. So they built it over the place where this man told him, which is the highest point on the Temple Mount, which the uh, first and second temple stood. The problem we have now is there's no way to verify that well, there is, there isn't. Let's put it this way. You can't do on-site archaeological uh, excavation on the Temple Mount. As you well know, I've been involved in this since 1982, 1983, with some of the, the participants, some of the players that have tried to, you know, find the location of the temple because you have to use what you can see from the top uh, historical sources that are sometimes kind of, you know, almost contradictory to each other. And so the bottom line is that is a, it could very well be where the third temple will be built, uh, it could be somewhere else on that Temple Mount uh, Plaza there, either to the south of it or the north of it. But sooner or later, it will get built. The, the location will be the exact location discovered, made known, where everyone agrees what it is. And so it, is a, it was built as a shrine. And now, eventually, what happened in Islam in the last couple of decades, they've made everything on the Temple Mount a, a holy place. The, the Dome of the Rock's a holy place. Uh, the Western Wall's holy now and all that. When before, when I first started getting into this, only the one mosque, the Al-Aqsa, the gray one, on the very southern side, that was the only holy spot on the whole mount. Everything else kind of led to that. Now the whole thing's holy. And so it's an interesting situation. But again, the reason we bring this up, this is ground zero, center stage, for the events going to take place in the last days. So we always keep our eye on Israel, Jerusalem, and most important, the Temple Mount. Yeah. And Don, I think it's important also that we, you know, we look at what our book says and what their book says. And, you know, there are those in Islam who say that uh, that's the third most holiest site in Islam. It's the faraway mosque. But you won't find that among Islamic scholars. Uh, they believe everything is in Saudi Arabia, Mecca, Medina, yep. and the faraway mosque is all located there. So it's really about the Jews and it's about Satan seeking to destroy the Jews and, and cast them from uh, the land of promise that God gave them forever. And, you know, if we realize that, that Satan, if he can cause any portion of the Bible to not be fulfilled, then he's gained a victory yep. and uh, basically discredited the whole message. Well, that's never going to happen. Nope. And uh, everything that God said is going to come to pass. And Don, um, I, I think this is, I'm going to skip a couple of questions, but 
this one here I think is of particular significance and relevance to our day. Someone says, I recently watched a, a YouTube post by Prophet Satu Sandar uh, Selvaraj, and if I butchered his name, my apologies, and it was called The Next Pandemic. I was wondering if you or any of your friends could comment about this. And uh, Don, you know, I read up on this guy and uh, basically what he prophesied about the next pandemic was based on a prophecy given by a man named Chuck Pierce. So I think we need to say something about modern day prophets and their predictions and things of that nature uh, that Jesus said is go are going to be rampant in the last days. Now I've always found, you know, the Holy Spirit very careful with his choice of words when he inspires an author to write. And, you know, Jesus in particular made the statement about false Christ, Christ meaning anointing and or anointed. And so there'll be false anointings in Jesus' name in the last days that will be rampant. And we're seeing that too with people yeah. uh, laying claim to being a, a New Testament type apostle uh, or a prophet as the Elijah sense and things of that nature. What would you say about that? Well, uh, a biblical prophet, according to Deuteronomy 18, had to be 100% right 100% of the time. The modern day prophets are 100% wrong 100% of the time. There's no evidence whatever they can predict something specific that has ever come to pass. Many times after the fact, they'll find some evidence in some writing. Well, this was predicted long ago, but we only see it after the fact. It's interesting to me, all these things they see these hidden messages in the Bible. They only see them after something took place. They don't see it before, never predicted based on that. And so look, uh, a pandemic is, like you mentioned last time, is something that where there's, there's some type of disease that's spread worldwide. It doesn't mean everybody dies or a huge death rate, but it means it goes worldwide. Well, there's, we know Revelation 6, 8, there's gonna be a, a combination of you know a, 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 a pestilence along with wild animals killing one fourth of humanity. Well, that's a given. That's, the Bible says that. That may be the next big one. We don't know. We know that one's a coming. This one now is absolutely nothing very compared to that. It's a pandemic in the fact that so many people have got it. The contagion is everywhere, but the death rate is infinitesimal. And if, if we would eliminate you know, the elderly, the aged, those with prior issues, the death rate would be next to zero in something like this. And so you know, whenever something like this happens, you've got this with 9-11, you had that with the ISIS coming, people say, well, this is found in the Bible, you know, the Chinese Communist Party coronavirus in the Bible, like 9-11's in the Bible, like ISIS in the Bible. No, it's not. It's not specifically taught in the Bible. There's gonna be things like this take place, but this specific pandemic is not taught in the Bible, but what it's doing, just like what ISIS did, Barry, as we've talked about, allow Iran, Russia, and Turkey to get closer to Israel's border. What this problem is doing is bringing, again, the U.S. away from the Middle East into the Pacific. It looks like the dissolution also of the, uh, uh, the European Union and other things are taking place that are setting the stage for the time of the end, but specifically, no, there's no sp prophecy there. And this person's name, whoever it was, this whatever he was and his other guy, there'll be just the proverbial blip on the radar screen. It'll be some type of yeah. trivial question a couple years because nobody will remember what they said. Yeah. And yet, Don, they garner or collect followers. Oh, yeah. And uh, people follow them by the thousands and even tens of thousands of times. But, you know, for me, Don, I, I look at, you know, so many uh, people standing up and claiming the office of the prophet and things like that. And, you know, Jesus himself said the prophets prophesied until John. Uh, Hebrews says the prophet uh, prophetic age was uh, up until the time of the son. And uh, in these last days, God, in time past, God spoke to the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. So, you know, as far as someone having, 
you know, these type of uh, Old Testament prophet revelations about future events and all of that, you know, we have to look at that through the lens of scripture. So things like this, I think we need to be cautious of yeah. uh, because one, Jesus warned about them. Two, it conflicts with what the Bible teaches. It, it totally, he put a period, a full stop after Jesus. That was it. That was his last word to the human race. And uh, that's what the book of Hebrews tells us. And those who are intimately involved with Jesus, those who were there with him, are the ones that gave us what he said and what he did after that divine revelation has ceased. There's nothing else that God, like my dad used to tell me, God said everything he needs to say. What else is there? I mean, he's telling us the end from the beginning. He gives the book of Revelation. We, it leads us into eternity. So that kind of does it for all the things we need to know. Not everything we'd yeah. want to know, but everything we need to know. Yeah, the most important thing is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be Indeed. saved. And really... And, uh, you know, if we look at what's going on in our world today, uh, there are elements of it that are a surprise to us because the Lord gave us uh, the general things we need yep. to know, but not the specifics about how it was going to come to pass. Like you and I have talked about, how in the world are Iran, Turkey, and Russia going to yep. get on the northern border of Israel, yeah. specifically in Syria? Well, yeah. who knew it would be ISIS that would yeah. gather them all together? But that's the mechanics of it. And uh, so it will be true with other things that uh, we're seeing happen in the world today. Uh, Don, you know, we, we talk about the fact that there is an impossibility of knowing the day or the hour or the moment that the Lord is gonna meet us in the air. The dead in Christ rise before us and we are forever with him from that point. But I think it's also important to underscore Hebrews 10:25, which talks about the necessity of assembling together all the much more as you see the day approaching. So. You know, that, that phrase, in that day in Zechariah 12 to 14, repeated over and over and over again, speaking specifically of the tribulation period. So, no, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen, but we're starting to see things develop that will reach their fulfillment during the tribulation. So, as pre-tribulation rapturists, uh, we need to be looking up because our redemption is nigh. Yeah, big time we need to be looking up, Barry, because we're seeing things now setting the stage for events we know are going to take place during this last seven-year period when we're gone. Well, if they're getting ready to take place now or could take place anytime, how close can we be? Again, we're not date setters. We don't know. It, it's God's call. It could be, again, we're not putting any limit on that. But we do want to understand that we're in a very interesting time right now, a unique time that we haven't seen, at least recently in our world. And with all these things coming together, if we're not paying attention to it, uh, will be caught unaware. The good news is Daniel 12, 9 and 10 tells us the wise will understand at the time of the end. We'll get it. We'll understand what's going on if we take Bible prophecy seriously and we take it very seriously here and we're seeing these things right in front of our eyes take place. Yeah, and if you are watching online and uh, haven't made a decision uh, for following Christ or accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to do so because one of the most important things that uh, we're told regarding the days in which we now live as Jesus made the comparison to these days and the days of Noah, was we need to recognize that Noah for over a hundred years was building an ark and it was a message of impending judgment. And when the time came to get on the ark, there were only eight people of the whole planet that got on the boat, though there was room for, as Ken Ham has, has uh, calculated, tens of thousands of people could have got on that boat along with two of each species of the animal kinds. And so what that tells us is consistent with what Jesus said in the heart of the Olivet Discourse, that he's coming at an hour where he's not expected. And so we should look at that as an indication, again, of the nearness of the Lord's return, because 
the signs of impending judgment all around us are largely being ignored. So I encourage you, don't ignore the signs that we see. There's only one way uh, by which one can be saved. Jesus told the man that he called the teacher of Israel and told him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You can't just be born physically or born of water, born through the process, the natural reproductive process. You need to be born spiritually as well. And that's what being born again is all about. There's only one who can make you born again, and that is Jesus Christ and him uh, covering your sins with his own blood, giving you the opportunity to follow after him the rest of your days, however many that may be in this particular hour and season of history. But he is the exclusive way to heaven. And that's why he would say right before he was crucified to his own disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So if you're not sure that your eternal destiny is heaven, you need to be sure, and you need to be sure right now. Now listen, there's a lot of different things we see out there as far as people coming to Christ. Sometimes they walk, on the, walk down on a field. Sometimes they walk down the aisle of a church. Sometimes they raise their hand. Obviously, we can't do any of those things right now, but that doesn't mean that you can't be saved right now because you can accept Christ as Savior and Lord right now where you are, and I encourage you to do so. And all you have to do is just recognize that the Bible's message is true. Jesus is the world's only Savior, and it's his blood and his blood alone that can cover the sin debt of all of humanity. Therefore, whoever desires or comes to the Lord can be saved, and that can be you too. So I encourage you, accept God's offer of salvation through his only son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world for the express purpose of dying for you and dying for me. Now listen, a lot of people say, if God is love, why this, why that? The ultimate demonstration of God's love is the cross, not our circumstances. He came and died the death that we all deserved so he could tell the world that he so loved them that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I hope you've made that decision. Ask him to be your Lord. Ask him to be your Savior in your heart. And if you're sincere in that, he will do that, save you from your sin, wipe out your record of wrong, put his Holy Spirit in you, and you can live for him until the day he comes to take us home or if he chooses to take you home individually. So make that decision, Don. I've never met one Christian who's regretted becoming a Christian. Exactly. Never. Nobody does. No. And they've had hardships and trials and persecutions, but they've never regretted accepting Christ as Savior and Lord, and neither will you. So, Don, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Let's all pray. Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to live at this time in history, to see things that people have been looking forward to see for the last 2,000 years, looking forward to the time of the season of your return. And Lord, during the difficult circumstances we're all facing now with so many things going on, help us look to you. Help us trust you. Help us, again, as you tell us in Philippians, to worry about nothing and pray about everything because we know your peace that passes all human understanding will guard our hearts and minds through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray for people out there tonight, wherever they're watching or today, wherever it is around the world, that you be with them in a very special way. Encourage them by the things that we've said. And again, make the point clear what Jesus said so long ago, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We thank you for that truth in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.